This podcast is brought to you by iTron. From energy and water solutions to advanced analytics and services, iTron has the technology you need to make the most of your investments. You can learn more about how iTron is working to create more insightful utilities, smarter cities, and a more resourceful world at www.itron.com. How do you bring a smart city to life? Many would argue that the city is already alive, a complex, self-sustaining organism that operates like any other living being. This concept is reflected in our artwork and our academic literature. The city as a biological mimic, reorganizing and self-repairing, always trying to find a balance when certain limits are reached. Over the last 50 years or so, a surprisingly heated academic and philosophical debate has emerged over how exactly we define the city as a biological organism. And now there's a whole new dimension to this debate. How do you give a city a brain to think, act, and make decisions to improve the lives of citizens? It's not just a philosophical question. It has real-world implications for the health, sustainability, and prosperity of our communities. That's why companies like iTron are becoming so invested in the concept of the smart city. Alongside municipalities and utilities, iTron is deploying the sensors and analytical tools to network systems across the city effectively creating a brain that grows and gets smarter over time. Here's how Sherilyn Moore, the vice president of global marketing at iTron, describes the practical outcome. It's really about how not only do we have a city of interconnected things, but it's what they are able to do when leveraged together to create new insights or solve new problems in new ways. These systems, electricity, water and gas meters, streetlights and parking meters are just a few examples can now be tied together to create new neural pathways. They can interact. They can learn from each other. And ultimately, this means a healthier organism. You know, said a little bit more simply, you know, our view of what a smart city is, is how can you lever a platform or an interconnected network to make it cost effective to censor many types of things? But then how do we use that information across various stakeholders in a city to solve new problems in new ways for the prosperity of the citizens, for the economic development of the city, you know, to help people live better, richer lives? And that is really our definition of what a smart city is. And and, and we'll help put a cast on, you know, how much work we probably still have to do as we look at um, smart cities in the future. In this show, sponsored by iTron, we discuss the emergence of the smart city. iTron has been at the forefront of developing smart city infrastructure, and I speak with Sherilyn Moore about how the company is using sensors and software to make the smart city come alive. Sherilyn and I cover a lot of ground in this conversation. The entry points for smart city development, municipal funding and planning challenges, iTron's technology roadmap, and the different applications on the horizon. So let's move from the theoretical to the practical. We start off by describing the first steps that cities and utilities are taking to make themselves more intelligent. It often starts with water, street lights, and other point solutions. 
right now it's mostly in two camps. It's driven from the water district's need to put in a smart water network, and they've had the wherewithal to know that there's applications beyond that. So there'll be nods to, we want to be able to do more with this smart water network. We need to read meters. We need to do it more efficiently. We know we have leaks. We know we could improve customer service. But what else can we do with this network? In all sincerity, those right now those lead deals the smart city applications tend to be the icing on the cake so they don't take up a large share of what we're seeing in the rfp on the other side of the equation we're seeing rfps requests for proposals on smart streetlights and here it's very much the same they've delved in and they've dug into what their requirements are from an led lighting standpoint their dimming requirements you know they're looking at energy savings and they're looking at safety um, and then every other application what else can we do with that network there's not as much detail about these applications we are also seeing then the trend where you see very much point solutions um, where you know we want to bring in some you know smart parking uh, meters and that will require a network but I think I'm just buying a smart parking meter so you're seeing RFPs that very much are just focused on that point application I think we've made progress when you know the mayor's office is leading an RFP initiative where they are putting in a network infrastructure very much designed and intended to solve 10 key applications that stand you know, that go beyond any one uh, department or division within that municipality or that city and uh, they want to optimize that investment interesting and, and when we often talk about the smart city I think like a lot of applications we think of electricity but water is just such a fundamental component to uh, cost savings uh, in municipalities so water is one of the uh, bigger costs in any sort of generating of electricity um, and delivery of electricity water plays a big role at the same token um, on our water bills it's taking a tremendous amount of energy to pump and treat and deliver that water saving one resource saves the other and wasting one of those resources is wasting the other and you know that's another promise of a, of a smarter city is when we think about these resources together and are recognizing that conserving one is conserving the other. Ushering in the change in any one of these disparate areas is difficult enough. Now, getting them all to work together and getting different agencies within cities to work together to implement them in a holistic way, that's a whole other challenge. What are some of the biggest issues you deal with when, um, when, when, you know, competing in RFPs and working with city departments to actually build applications? You know, it does start with the collaboration required and the agreement on objectives. The reality is a city isn't any different than, you know, any business um, or, you know, need where we, we have budgets, we have deadlines, and we have expectations. And the expectation in, you know, one department on one set of budget 
can't afford to be the one to say, I'm going to be the one that invests all of this across the board. So there's just an inherent reality of how we're funding these departments in these jurisdictions and their expectations on an annual basis of what they're delivering uh, back to their city councils and to their boards. So it really does require, you know, leadership from the top and visionary leadership uh, to change the rules and to open up new possibilities. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that is required first and foremost, yet enough vision to recognize what the pitfalls are, to instill the real change, to enable it at the bottom um, or, or throughout the, the, the actual organization. And another element to think about is many times this is beyond a true smart city is beyond, you know, the walls of a municipal government, um, the utilities um, that are maybe, you know, uh, you know, publicly owned, investor owned utilities often play a very active role in investments in a community uh, for economic development and are willing to have a seat at that table. Um, uh, academic institutions want to be able to contribute in research um, and in economic prosperity and or, you know, the, 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 the livability of the city in which they're recruiting and, and, and having students and public enterprise that want to get involved with technology and innovation and, you know, want to make their city better. So this even, this problem does, you know, multiply when even you get outside of a city government that a city manager, a, a CTO, a CIO, a CSO of a city and a mayor can even control. But it really does come down to visionary leadership uh, that certainly is possible. We have some examples about that across the city. Yeah. So let's get into some examples. Do you, do you have any particularly good ones um, that show this collaboration in action? You know, I have a couple great examples. Um, one, one in particular um, is Envision Charlotte. If we look back to um, Envision Charlotte and how it was envisioned, it was actually the foresight of the CEO of Duke at the time, Jim Rogers. He had a vision that uh, a smart city with a public-private uh, partnership and collaboration across Charlotte um, is really a means in which it does create you know, economic development for the region and also um, help improve uh, what's being delivered to its citizens. And so Envision Charlotte was really um, established um, in a 20-city block area of downtown uh, Charlotte, um, and an, an entity, a nonprofit entity was established, which is Envision Charlotte. The funding came from Jim Rogers, but it developed its own set of partners and collaborators, um, you know, including um, uh, the university, including ITRON, including other businesses that owned the businesses or the buildings down in that city block. And that group established targets. Let's save energy um, moving forward. They want to save water. They're testing new technologies. And Envision Charlotte became a model that the White House even tapped and built a um, and built a program called Envision America after. So it really is this model in which you know public-private partnership and collaboration is actually invested in, and an entity is actually rallying around to be able to um, create and instill and 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 make happen. We're seeing incredible progress there. Another great example where we're seeing collaboration in cities happen um, is around Urbanova. Um, this is in Spokane, Washington. It's a 700-acre uh, university district where a lot of 
um, residential and and uh, business um, and uh, universities are building up around in this district. So it's very much a mixed use um, area where there is some new development, but also some existing development. And that's been anointed as an area of uh, Smart City, um, which a, a, a nonprofit's been established, Urban Nova, and is being led. But the collaborators involved were um, Washington State University. It was a Vista Utilities, the investor-owned utility in the region. ITRON, who's headquartered in uh, the Spokane, Washington area, coming together as these foundational partners to say, let's make this happen. And need I forget, which I did, the city of Spokane has been involved since day one. And it's that commitment of envisionary leadership that really, you know, I can credit to um, Avista, the CEO, Scott Morris, Roger Woodworth, who's their VP of strategy, as well as ITRON. ITRON CEO, Philip Measy, being supportive from the beginning, and the mayor, uh, Mayor Condon, of wanting to see what we can do to make a difference and putting, you know, the time, the money, and the resources into to just create the fire, create the spark, and great things are going to happen. So it sounds like even with all these players with maybe different vocabulary and different goals, that they can come together you know, to, to achieve a unified goal. And so we have some examples of that. But there are still sticky issues to deal with, one of which is data and the question about who owns that data, who has access to it, how much of it you need, um, where it's coming from, how secure is it. This is something that is... Uh, often talked about in the smart grid space and now we're applying it to the smart cities space what is what are some of the issues that you're dealing with in terms of data acquisition data sharing and data security well there's no question that it is all about the data um, meaning you can't solve a problem without insight and information. And I think looking at what smart cities want to accomplish, it is all about insights, problem solving, and looking at doing things in new ways. As we look at, you know, what is involved to truly bring these smart cities to life, I think that the, the data and who owns what data and how that is managed, it, it almost makes smart grid big data look easy in comparison from that uh, data model perspective. You know, I think that the successful smart city um, are going to think about this up front and build data models that take into consideration whose data is whose IP, what data is shared IP, what data will be public um, and sh publicly shared and how is it used. And I think there's an opportunity to really get in and think through all of these things. I know Urbanova in Spokane has a whole work stream team of people led by Washington State University, but with many others contributing, what is that data model? How do we protect intellectual property? How do we open data? And how do we make sure that we ensure privacy and security of that information at the right place? Certain data, such as an aggregate view of air quality, is not a highly secured private piece of information that many people may want or need access to. But individual data sets, such as what could be captured on a video 
camera of a citizen is a much more interesting thing to think about what we do and how we manage that data. Not to mention we're talking about different types of data, right? Bits and bytes versus video or live streaming information at much different granularities and frequency and um, you know bandwidth constraints. So I think thinking through data is one of the things that makes smart cities not as easy as it sounds, um, but is also an opportunity for leadership uh, for those cities that get in and do the hard work to figure out how to, how to make it happen. We've largely talked about the backend infrastructure and what this might look like for the vendors, for municipalities, for utilities, but what about for the consumer herself? Um, when she walks through the city, what what's she going to be interacting with? When you think about these streetlights and parking meters and smart electric and water meters and, uh, I mean, you, you name it, every application under the sun, when these finally all come together, how will that impact the way a person interacts with her city? Every every city will have its own unique value proposition based on its communities and based on its priorities. Uh, a smart city really should bring to life what the city's plan is or vision already is. Um, in many cities, it means that your citizens have confidence that they have the best air quality as possible and that the city is making sure that it's doing things to make sure they're as healthy and, and as safe as possible, that they, they see technologies that they know are, are there and around them to help help protect them and they feel safer when they um, lock their car late at night and are walking into a building. Um, they are seeing the impacts of I'm being given more tools in which I can better conserve water and I, I can be part of my community's need to do that. Um, my electricity utility is helping me save money. Uh, they've given me programs and control and convenience and comfort that they used to not give me that I never understood why they hadn't. Um, and, and overall, I see that my city is doing smart things and more businesses want to, to bring uh, their business here. Uh, more people are choosing to live here. And we're feeling the economic gains of doing that. We're seeing reinvestment in our community. Um, and the technology really isn't top of mind. But I happen to notice that I have, a, I have a sense of pride in what my city's delivering. I don't intend to leave. My company doesn't intend to leave. And I know that there'll be jobs for my kids if they choose to stay. In your lifetime and my lifetime, is the smart city as you've just described it? going to materialize? Are we talking about many decades, a couple of decades? What's this time frame? Well, if we look at Moore's Law and the power of the technology at the rapid rate um, and applying that to here, the technologies here, you know, I think the next opportunity is getting technology to scale that's more interoperable, that shares infrastructure, that brings data together. That's that next frontier, and that's beginning to be here. Um, this is not five to ten years out. This is advancements we're going to be seeing this year, next year, and the year after. Um, it, it, it's time. Um, there's benefits in a very short order, um, whether you can dramatically save money in delivering uh, your, your electricity or immediately uh, stopping um, the wasted water and, and sending out uh, people to fix those water mains that are leaking during, you know, Sunday afternoons, um, which is very high cost and very inconvenient uh, for those that are 
you know, being, seeing their streets flooded or you're the poor fellow that has to go out and fix that water. These are all things that we can do right away. This doesn't have to be, you know, um, something we solve all at once. There are benefits almost, you know, immediately as soon as we deploy some of these smarter technologies. So I think the timing is now and I think the benefits are already here. It's just been extraordinary to watch this space change because, you know, the applications that are possible today weren't even possible five or six years ago. I mean, they were possible technologically, but the costs have come down so dramatically in terms of um, hardware development and data collection and software development. It's truly extraordinary. How does that impact the way you see your technology roadmap going forward? There are a few catalysts that I think are making this extraordinarily exciting from a technology standpoint. Um, one, thanks to Moore's Law, the power of what we can put in a device at a very low cost that can last 20 years without electricity wired power is absolutely astounding. And that's critical to light up the Internet of Things, especially in these outdoor city-based networks. So the power of what can be in a device um, and the intelligence that can run in what was just a static device before is incredible. And that is one thing that makes this exciting. The other element to that is open interoperable networks, not needed to be point-to-point -point closed loop systems, um, but but a truly interoperable communications layer that means to add, you know, and revolutionize your parking meters, you might need to only add that device. Um, and you can run it on an existing network and all that infrastructure is already paid for. So that makes this very exciting to have, you know, be able to add various sensors, which really adds, you know, new applications and new game changing features of what you can offer to these uh, city networks. And then lastly, what's going on with the cloud, the level of computing and analytics capability that is so much more accessible or makes the software that really would have needed to be very complex with really large servers would have been prohibitive for any city to invest it in. And now through cloud technologies like Microsoft Azure um, and the analytics and the applications that can run on it, it's much like the, the open interoperable communications network so many applications can easily get access to these to this data within a cloud system that it makes it really easy to overlay the application layer as well so th those are all game changing things that that are going to make smart cities a reality and make it you know doable and cost effective from that technology standpoint so it's incredibly exciting and you know the key here if i, I didn't stress it enough is you know your investments from a smart city standpoint they do need to be open they do need to be interoperable and they need to need to extend beyond any one application. And I think it's helpful to finally put this into an economic context once again. You mentioned that um, businesses want to set up shop in these cities that are deploying cutting-edge technology, retaining high-tech workers, um, making their cities more livable. What are some of the important ways that smart city applications can help economic growth in these municipalities? You know, I think over time you'll see cities competing with other cities. And what makes the difference? If you were going to run your business in a city, what would be the things that you would think about? And maybe you wouldn't have said the energy water bill, um, which is a practical, um, real example, but maybe not the most compelling. 
is you'd think about livability. You'd think about quality of life. You'd think about could I re- attract and retain people to want to live there? And, you know, and how does a city, what are the levers they have to actually control that? And I think thinking about a smart city investment, which you can start envisioning, you know, you know, safer citizens, uh, ease of congestion, uh, ease of parking, uh, all overlaid with some of those, the, those, you know, blocking and tackling basics of really effective, you know, delivery and use of, of energy and water, you know, really do make a difference um, on, you know, economic development. So I think those are, you know, just some of the examples that can be factored in on, on, from smart cities and what it means to economic development. This podcast was brought to you by ITRON. From energy and water solutions to advanced analytics and services, ITRON has the technology you need to make the most of your investments. Learn more about how ITRON is working to create more insightful utilities, smarter cities, and a more resourceful world at www.itron.com.